Welcome to the Mortis and Tenon Magazine podcast, where we're celebrating historic furniture making. This is episode number 53. I'm Mike Optograph. And I'm Joshua Klein. And as you may know, we're doing a mini-series uh, right now with the podcast. We're going through David Pye's The Nature and Art of Workmanship, chapter by chapter. Uh, so in this podcast episode, we're taking a look at chapter two. This is kind of a big one. This is where Pi uh, unpacks his concepts of the workmanship of risk and the workmanship of certainty. And so he talks about um, craftsmanship and this the nature of this word. You know, he he again, obviously, the title of this book he's referencing uh, workmanship, and so he's talking about this idea of craftsmanship. That this word is so uh, often used in an honorific way. It's something that you know everybody has their shibboleths. They have their prejudices. They have their defenses of their own trade. And so they'll grab onto this word craftsmanship and they'll say, I'm a true craftsman or this is a true craftsman. Uh, and so he is trying to say, I want to try to avoid that. I, he says famously, this is a word to start an argument with. Yep. And, um, you know, I think that's- How many a, books these days have the word craft in their title? Oh, I'm sure it's a pretty lot. pretty much every book. Yeah, <laughs> it's published about woodwork. And so when you start making distinctions about what you think craftsmanship is or isn't, argument ensues, right? And so that's what he's trying to, he's setting up saying, hey, listen, I know that I'm starting to talk about this stuff, but I'd like to start right out of the gate saying, I'm a little hesitant to even wade into this. Um, but he does uh, feel the burden to write a whole book addressing the nature and art of this thing. Yeah, and so he starts out by, um, first of all, um, laying out some different perspectives of the idea of craftsmanship. There are some people who see this uh, this pursuit or the desire to preserve handcraft as kind of backward looking, right? Um, he says, as, as opposed to like new technology that we must now depend on. So, you know, that is not necessarily a pejorative. He's just saying people are looking back and that's their perspective and that's why they value craft because they're looking backward. These are uh, hobbyists and things like that. And then there are people who look at craftsmanship and they say, this is a valuable part. This is valuable to preserve because it's part of who we are. It's part of our <clears throat> civilization. It's what makes us human. And so we should preserve this. And he describes it, I think he's, he describes it as a, a deep spiritual value <clears throat> or somewhat of a mystical kind of thing. So there's, you can have, there might be an individual version of that, but also I think he's saying, so there's some kind of backward looking thing. And then there's also this, or what I think kind of comes with it is this spiritual uh, moral value that comes along with craftsmanship and, and some conceptions of it. Mm -hmm. I, I do think he makes a distinction between those last two though, because there's almost, there are those who value craftsmanship for the fact that it is what we stand on as human beings, mm -hmm. that's kind of an anthropological perspective. Sure. Right? Yep. Um, but then drawing from that, there's another step that you can take, which, which encompasses actually both of the, the first two, which is kind of the, the, the hazy kind of mystical one, right? Where, yeah. where you're, you're like, it has some intangible value or some spiritual value, or there's some moral element to it, which Pi does not overtly ever get into. Yeah, right? he, he's, he sort of dodges that whole thing. He actually, he kind of uh, casts aspersions uh, on the arts and crafts movement. And at least- For their romanticism. At, yeah, right. Yeah. At least the popular conceptions of it, he does not like Ruskin or Morris 
but especially the popular conceptions of it, he really uh, is not a fan of because of this mysticism that is associated with it. Mm. So he says, um, he says, okay, if I must describe a meaning to the word craftsmanship, obviously he has to at some point say, what do I even mean by it? And instead of just taking the word and just running with it and talking about craftsmanship, he says he has this whole chapter laying out his new, his paradigm, the way he wants to talk about it. And instead he wants to say, well, what about craftsmanship uh, is is distinct from what people conceive of as uh, you know, mass production or something. He's he's trying to say like, wh- what are some better words to describe? So he's kind of you know reaching out for these descriptors, and I, I think in the reaching of these descriptors, he's trying to isolate or find the particular distinction that can be uh, most usefully made, and that is yeah. risk and certainty. Yep, and I will say I think, uh, in my experience, that people who um, argue with or uh, misrepresent Pi, it's coming specifically from a misunderstanding of this chapter. Yeah. So this is kind of the, 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 I'll say the beginning of the heart of his argument here. Sure. And, and also, uh, this chapter is not the book. It's right. merely just the framework for the whole yeah, discussion exactly. that he actually wants to be having. So he says craftsmanship, this is his definition. <clears throat> he says, I shall say at a first approximation that craftsmanship simply means workmanship using any kind of technique or apparatus in which the quality of the result is not predetermined, but depends on the judgment, dexterity, and care which the maker exercises as he works. He says the quality of the result is continually at risk in the process of making. So he's, he's saying, I will call this then the workmanship of risk. So the risk is specifically that the, the uh, result of the production, the result of that motion, the success of that is dependent upon the judgment, dexterity, and care of the maker, uh-huh. i.e., can you pull it off? Do you have the ability to do what you're trying to do? And he yeah. says this whole thing is... It's risky. He uses the word risk because he's trying to say it's uh, continually at risk of being of being spoiled. It's yeah. in the artisan's hand. Yeah. And I know what you're thinking, but hold that thought. Because at this point, people are, they like to throw up a flag and say, well, wait a bit. Well, you know, what about, what about this? What about that? Pi is going to get there. So he starts with his definition and then he, he begins to unpack his definition which is really quite valuable. I think it's it's even more valuable his his thinking through the process by which he gained this definition really helps us to understand it a lot better. Um, he does make um, and Joshua, both of us noticed this kind of for the first time this morning as we were flipping through this book. He uh, points out that he believes so he he talks about those three. Um, values, you could say, um, almost definitions of skilled work. He talks about judgment, dexterity, and care. And then he says, just briefly, he says he believes that the care counts for more than judgment and dexterity. Yeah, and And, and so he actually says, it might be mentioned in passing that the care matters more than... Yeah. And so I just, I've always read kind of right over that and didn't stop and think. He's actually saying care matters more than uh, judgment or dexterity. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was so interesting. I, I mean, I would love to, I'm going to be thinking about that more and more like, wow, okay. Yeah. 
if you if you consider what it, let those terms like define one another if you break up like a, a, a an operation of hand tool woodworking so like judgment is like the big picture it's your approach it's your um your decision making yeah, your, your the, comprehension the of the, the techniques that you utilize mm -hmm. right your way of thinking through the project dexterity is your ability to manipulate tools with accuracy it's like fine motor skills but care can actually, you know, taking care of being methodical, being slow and meticulous and paying attention. Yeah, paying actually, attention, having concern, yeah. thinking about, um, obviously care can also be used in a negative way that you have anxiety about something. Right. So you're, it's, it's this idea that this stuff is on your mind. Mm -hmm. It's weighing, it's weighing on you, meaning it's not just uh, a thing observed from a distance, but it's actually like on you. Yeah. And so when you take care you're taking this on you and you're saying, hmm, how is this sitting? How, how, what's going on with this? And you're really taking it in. I mean, really care is engagement in that yeah. way of thinking. And that, that engagement can actually, I'm, I'm drawing a little more from the text than is here, but it can overcome some deficiencies that you might have in judgment or dexterity. Sure. Yeah. Um, which is interesting. And that, that's, you know, gives hope to me uh, <laughs> when, where I may be lacking in judgment or dexterity, but if I take care and engage the process, I can have a good result. Yeah, and then he also says that this care um, may well become habitual and unconscious. Hmm. Um, and I, I like that because I think a lot of people, um, you know, when they look at, you know, the, the master craftsman who's been doing this, you know, for, you know 50 years or whatever, um, they say, oh wow, they make it look so easy. And I think that's kind of what he's getting at is that this care just becomes habitual and unconscious that someone who is highly, highly skilled, they do make it look easy. Mm. That i.e. the care is just lying, it's it's unconscious, it's just there. They're always aware of stuff. They're always yep. and it's not this strained trying to be careful. They just are they careful. Just are. Yep. They're just aware. So but then he contrasts that with the workmanship of certainty. So workmanship of risk and now workmanship of certainty. And he says, uh, this is always found in uh, quantity production. Mm -hmm. um, and he says, workmanship of this sort, in workmanship of this sort, the quality of the result is exactly predetermined before a single saleable thing is mm -hmm. made. And so he's saying, what he's focusing on is he's not saying there's no um, you know, skill or capacity involved in workmanship of certainty he's saying it's all predetermined meaning you use all of this workmanship of risk and all these different techniques to create jigs and machines and fences you get everything all set up yeah so that when the operation starts you can let it run without hiccups right now of course a jig that is not ideal may have hiccups right. so you got to fix the jig so that <laughs> when you get to the the, the work operation, when you're actually making the cut, it doesn't have hiccups. Yeah. And so that kind of work, that, that jig uh, guiding of the tool kind of work, he's describing that kind of work as the workmanship of certainty because the aim is external control. It's certainty from something outside of your hand. Yeah, and I think it's important to note, he adds the word quality here. So he says, the quality of the result is predetermined. Um, in this this area, this paragraph anyway, he's not specifically saying the result is predetermined because lots of people will say, hey, wait a minute, Pi, you can have these big industrial errors. You can have these big mistakes. Sure. Like the thing, 
it is not, you know, the result isn't predetermined because things can go wrong. Well, what he's saying is actually the quality is what's predetermined. And I, I was thinking about that in terms of, you know, we put together this magazine twice a year mm -hmm. and uh, we value quality in the production. We value quality for the paper and the ink and the, the photographs and all of those factors of quality are predetermined. We decide on the paper that we're going to use. So the quality is predetermined there. We decide on, you know, the kind of printing. And so we're utilizing uh, jigs and technologies and things like that. But we know to expect a certain degree of quality that is beyond that of your, you know, small town newspaper, right? Because sure. we're, we're predetermining the quality. Um, and so when we get a case of magazines and we say, oh my goodness, there is some error here. There's some hiccup. There's some issue. Uh, we say, you got to fix this. This is not what we wanted. However, if let's say it's a small town newspaper and they get like color bars printed on the edge or something, which you see all the time, they don't really mind because nobody really minds because mm -hmm. they're paying 75 cents for it, right? Yeah. So um, the quality is what's predetermined. It's not necessarily the outcome is predictable completely. Sure, right. So I like this that he says uh, on page 21, he talks about, he said, it is certain that when the workmanship of certainty, that it remakes our whole environment. Mm -hmm. And he's talking about the the um, the visible quality that when uh, you have production that is, you know, mass production, to put it, you know, in the co common way of putting it, workmanship of certainty, it remakes, mm -hmm. it changes our visual environment. And when we see things that have been mass produced, um, especially, this is 1968, he's writing this, but it's still true to today, uh, that when we look around, we see things that have been, um, you know, have come out of a factory, uh, it does have, it changes the whole environment from a handmade environment to a machine-made yeah. environment. There's a big difference. And so he really <clears throat> emphasizes the the visible quality. And he's kind of holding that up there saying, I want to I'm coming back to this. He said, I'm going to tackle these things. So what, what can be gained and lost in this change in the visible environment? Because he's a designer and he's saying, he's talking about the relationship of design and workmanship and how they uh, work together to create beautiful things. And so he said, again, to remind, uh, he's saying design gets too much credit when, a, when workmanship really is doing a lot for the visual environment. Right. Yeah, I just the contrast I think of is let's say you're, you're just walking through, you know, a major city, let's say on the U.S. East Coast, and everything there is is um, mass produced and prefabbed, and it's put up, and all the surfaces and textures are uh, textured to a very uh, regular degree, mm -hmm. very predictable degree, um, and and everything you see, all the vehicles are mass produced, everything that you look around in the built environment, it is all. Um, the product of the workmanship of certainty. Contrast that to, say, uh, on the same ocean, let's say uh, um, an Irish fishing village, right, where every house is made of stone that's stacked and every boat is made of wood um, by hand. And you see a lot of diversity in this. Um, nothing is predictable. And uh, you know that aesthetically, one is, it draws people in different ways than the other does. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what he's, I think that's what he's talking about, that that the workmanship of certainty remakes our whole environment because that cityscape was not possible before um, industrial 
industrialism took over. Mm -hmm. uh, everything before that was made by hand. Yeah. So, so to illustrate this, he takes up an example. Um, he says, compare uh, writing with a pen to modern printing. Mm -hmm. So workmanship of risk, writing with a pen. Uh, we can all see how, you know, you have this pen in your hand and you're shaping letters and there's really not much guiding you. Yep. You you may begin to try to think, how can I make this more regular? How can I, you know, have a predictable outcome? And you can start thinking that way, but that's it's pretty much in your hand, right? And he contrasts that with modern printing. Of right. course, when you have everything, the press is all set up and you hit go, at that point, of course, a lot of skills involved to get it set up and designed to be able to work properly. But when you hit go, the the actual uh, production that's going on is not dependent on somebody's ability to hold the thing steady right. or to guide or the to paper. copy the right words or to like, copy the right words. You see that a lot, you know, these old um, medieval illuminated manuscripts, right? And somebody made a mistake mm -hmm. and they copied something wrong. Printing press isn't going to do that. It's not going to change words or change word orders right. in a sentence. It or, does what it's told. And he said, he says the ends will never look like use. Yeah. Right, um, and so he he talks also about then this intermediate form of of work that's kind of between handwriting and the modern printing press, and that's a typewriter. Uh, I would say a computer as well. Yeah. Uh, but you know, where it's it's you are typing out the letters, you're choosing the letters, but again, still the ends will never look like use. When you hit N, it's going to be N. Right. But you can also type gibberish. Right. <laughs> you can. Uh, you can misspell words because it's relying on your dexterity, your use of the keyboard in a proper way. I mean, computers actually have a new layer of jigs that typewriters didn't have, you know, autocorrect, mm -hmm. which yep. often spits out the word you didn't want. But anyway, um, yeah, it, it's it's interesting to think about those in terms of, um, you know, certainty versus risk, the typewriter is a, a very manual thing and you you know it's a very analog machine but it involves risk because you can misspell a word mistype something and it's not as easy to delete and correct and it doesn't call it out for you like a, a modern computer or word processing program does um, so that's kind of the blend he uses it's an intermediate form of workmanship Mm -hmm. And he also talks about he gives another example of you know if you want to make a straight line you have a pencil and you want to make a a very, very straight line. Uh -huh. It's important to you that it's actually truly straight. Not many of us are going to be really careful and take a deep yeah. breath and draw a straight Use a line. a lot of care. <laughs> a lot of care. A lot of care. No, we're going to get a ruler and yeah. th throw it down and just run the pencil down it. And that's a jig. So he's talking about people who are, um, you know, doing productive things are always reaching for different jigs and controls. Yeah. And there, there's, it's this, this interplay between workmanship of risk and certainty that's present all the time in the things that we're all doing. So he's talking about even in the middle ages, workmanship of certainty was all over the place with stamps and dies and straight edges mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff. Um, he's, he's merely making a distinction between these different types of operation in which the, um, the work is stored up, as he puts it. It's all set up and ready to go, or the kind that is full of risk all the way through the operation. Right. That's the distinction he's making. Yeah, I, I like this uh, this little section where he talks about, like, what is the purpose of the workmanship of certainty? Sometimes it's speed. Sometimes you want to make something go faster, so you employ these jigs, right? But that's not always it. He says sometimes it's... Um, it's the desire for 
accuracy, right? Just like the ruler analogy. Right. So drawing a line with a ruler is both faster and more accurate. And so that's what we reach for. Well, it's not inherently faster. Right. I can very quickly draw a line. Oh, yeah, I line. could do that right now. I mean, that's very, that's pretty it's good. It's not bad. <laughs> uh, it's kind of straight. But the ruler particularly is for accuracy. Right. And when you're more, I mean, and obviously but a lot of times because it's jigged up, you can work really fast. You can mm-hmm. draw a quick line knowing it will be accurate, but it's taking the accuracy out of the whole equation. It's it's relatively easy to, for anyone to, you know, put a pencil up against a, a ruler. Right. That's not a highly complicated uh, operation. And so the, there's the accuracy and the speed in, in you know, Quantity production, if you're starting a factory, of course, speed is a very relevant factor mm-hmm. and accuracy is, of course, relevant. Um, so whenever we choose to take on workmanship of certainty, it could be for either or both of those reasons. Right. Like when when we're doing joinery layout, we use a square, we scribe against the square because we don't want to mess that up. Mm-hmm. And there's no no sense in trying to do it, you know, freehand. There's, there's really no value in that. Um, Pi, Pi makes this point. He says... In fact, the workmanship of risk in most trades is hardly ever seen and has hardly ever been known in a pure form. Right. Uh, considering the ancient use of templates, jigs, machines, and other shape-determining systems which reduce risk. Like I was just saying, the the square, um, you know, layout tools, all kinds of things that are, uh, they, they've been used as far back as we have records or can, you know... Um, can trace, you know, the collection, tool collections and things like that. They've always utilized the workmanship of certainty. Yeah. So he says the fundamental question he's asking here, the, make, having this distinction clear in your mind is, is the result predetermined and unalterable once production begins? Right. Are you riding the groove? Are you on the track? Are you on the fence? Or is there an opportunity for you to deviate from your swing, right? And that's the fundamental distinction he's trying to draw out. And so uh, he starts talking about, you know, goes on talking about uh, deciding which goes in which category. And what he ends up basically saying is that um, that this risk is sitting, uh, that it's a degree of risk. So you're right. assessing the degree to which some a particular operation is risky or not, i.e. the degree to which judgment, dexterity, and care is dependent upon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he says it's it's not once you look at it, especially on a scale, it's it's not difficult to decide what category a given piece of work falls into. And so he has a few examples. Someone you know working in a factory setting. Um, when you're applying the workmanship of certainty in a factory setting, you cannot spoil the job, but you can certainly spoil it if. Um, it says a workman uh, using the workmanship of risk assisted by no matter what machines, tool, machine tools and jigs can do so, that is spoil the result at almost any minute. That is the essential difference. The risk is real. Um, but then he says, there's a lot more in workmanship than not spoiling the job. As we know, uh, making a beautiful table is not simply avoiding ruining the table as you're making it. There's, there's more to it than not messing up, right? Um, just as there is more in music than playing the right notes. Yeah, so he, that's that's a negative and positive. So he's he's doing two things. I think he's 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 connecting it with this music analogy, which mm-hmm. is really great. And he actually in his other book, uh, The Nature of Design, uh, he wrote a few years before this book, 
um, that he, uh, again, in that book as well, he talks, he compares uh, workmanship to musical performance and the score. In that book, he talks about the score and the musicians and the relationship there. In this book, um, in the last chapter, he talks about um, he, the the conductor in there yeah. as well. So you have these different roles uh, in a creative production. Um, so he, he's connecting it to music again, which I do think is such a great analogy, mm. thinking about comparing woodworking to musical performance. Then you can, you can, it really helps you to start thinking about, okay, so I'm the musician, but I have a score, I have a plan in my head mm-hmm. and I can direct things. And so you're thinking about, you know, how can I steer this? Um, but also he has the negative. So there's more than just not spoiling, but he also says there's more than just getting it Right. Right. Meaning cutting the right measurement and more to it than just 90 degree shoulders and more to it than pure accuracy. Mm -hmm. He's saying there's more to music than technical accuracy. Yeah. There's, there's something about the workmanship of risk or its results, something associated with it, with which, which has been long and widely valued. And so that's, that's what we're getting at when we talk about like, what is, the handmade aesthetic. What yep. is it about handmade objects that draw us in more than machine-made or factory-made objects? What and, is he's, it? and he says that is one of the principal questions of this book. Yeah. He said, that's what I want to think about. Uh, what is that thing? And uh, how can it be con- continued, he says. He really, he doesn't want to get into romanticism. He doesn't want to start, you know, making um, cases for the the way he works or something. He's saying, I want to understand what is it about this that draws us all? And how can we keep that thing? How can we not let uh, the entire visual environment around us, uh, let all of mass production change that? So everything is, you know, flat and smooth or it has some kind of texture, but it's a regular industrially stamped texture. How do we have the diversity that workmanship of risk can offer us? Right. How do we, how can we continue that? Yeah. And that, uh, again, is what he spends uh, the rest of the book trying to unpack. Um, so he, he says here that um, basically it's not always valuable to pursue the workmanship of risk, mm-hmm. right? And we've, we've talked about that, like in the extreme, like you could make a, a high boy with a screwdriver, right? If you really <laughs> took a lot of care. Theoretically. You, you could do every woodworking operation with a sharpened screwdriver. If you, I mean, it's, it's kind of like- I think that's idea. more theoretical than yeah. actual. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> but I yes. guess so. Somebody should take a few years and try that at some point. If you do, let us know. We'll run the article. Yeah, but, but I mean, that is about <laughs> as risky as workmanship gets, right? So he's saying that's not really a valuable thing to do. That's not really uh, worthwhile to pursue. He says, in many contexts, that kind of thing is an utter waste of time. It can produce things of the worst imaginable quality. It can be expensive. And, uh, and he says this, this funny thing. He says, um, speaking of the workmanship of risk, he says, from time to time, it has doubtless been practiced effectively by people of the utmost depravity. I'm offended. Yeah, I kind of am too. <laughs> what are you saying? No, I mean, what he's saying, of course, is to try to attribute spiritual value to say people who work like this are more noble, are yeah, they're more, more in moral. Touch. They're yeah. more in, you know, he's saying, uh, actually, I know some pretty depraved people yeah. who use workmanship of risk all the time. Right. So that's not, he's saying that's not an argument to make. 
Yeah. Um, he's saying that we can't really go there because, of course, there are people from all camps who have worked in in both different um, sides of the scale. And so that's not really the argument that he's making. Yeah. So that, um, you know, I do think that there's some sort of, um, that there's a lot we can learn that helps form us and shape us through craftsmanship. Mm-hmm. That's actually not what Pi cares about at all in this right. book. He's not interested in that discussion at all. Uh, so I'm really tempted to start talking about that thing. Right. But uh, Pi doesn't care. And so we're going to stick with what Pi uh, is is focused on here. Right. Uh, so uh, he picks up, he says, um, he's talking about the future of this and what, um, you know, what he, how he sees workmanship of risk in the future. And we heard a little bit about this in the introduction. John Kelsey was talking about it, about Pi's perceptions of what might be possible for workmanship of risk in the future. Um, and he says he's he was fairly certain in 68 that it would never be again used for producing things in, in quantity, mm-hmm. which is, I think, still pretty much true. Um, but he says people will continue to demand individuality in their possessions. Right. So he's saying that desire for something unique and special and, you know, the fancy word is bespoke. Mm, yeah, that will never go away. People yeah. will want that when they see. I mean, that's the whole thing of scarcity and and um, you know rarity. That when everyone has this thing, yeah. Well, what the, the a special option you would take is the the one that no one else has. You, yeah, you hire the special artisan to make you a unique custom one. Yeah. So he says, of course, that's not ever going to go away. That's just built into the human nature. I think that we're yeah. gonna want that. And we thing. we see that it's kind of like a um like the arts and crafts movement 2.0 where the terminology and the the look of the objects became just a an aesthetic for a factory produced object now we've taken that same appeal that same draw for the unique and the individual and the bespoke uh the handcrafted and we've applied it to as we've said before things like fast food milkshakes and you know the the coffee beverages that everyone's getting the same thing in line at Starbucks or whatever. It's a, a handcrafted, you know, from a, a machine that someone pulled the lever on a uh, thing. But, <laughs> but that really appeals to us. We think that there's quality in that. Mm-hmm. And so he's saying that, yes, people will always demand individuality. And he doesn't, th- he thinks that that is a good, good sign for the future of the workmanship of risk, that it will always be, have a draw to it. It will always be appealing. But he says there's a danger in that. He says it's not so much that it will die out altogether, but because of our loss of skill, our loss of the ability to do these things, we'll start to look at inferior forms of skilled work. We'll start to see lousy handmade things, and we'll say, oh, well, that's handmade, so therefore it's good. Yeah. Even though it's really loud. And there's he also critiques this um, you know, I think he it was Ruskin later that he he picks up on he talks about um how inappropriate the veneration for shoddy work is. Mm. Because it's old right. and it's kind of rustic looking, therefore we venerate it. It's like this valuable thing. And Pi is saying, that's that's just an excuse for sloppy workmanship. Right. Hey, we should be thinking about what's valuable. There is such a thing as skilled workmanship of risk. Mm-hmm. And we should appreciate that. But just because something uh, was not a, a product of workmanship of certainty doesn't mean it's inherently valuable. Right. And I think that's what Pi really cares about. He wants skilled work to be celebrated for what it is yep. and shoddy work to be left in the 
you know, wastebasket right. and move on. Let's it's like let's the worst chair maker in Portland, right? Oh, I missed. Yeah. yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. That's a good, <laughs> if you don't know what we're talking about, you should Google it. The worst chair maker in Portland. Um, yeah, it'll give you a, a, a real feel for inferior workmanship. That was risk. such a great Instagram feed. Was, <laughs> uh, but anyways, uh, but so he talks about uh, this mass production and handmade. These are the two uh, colloquial terms that he's, I mean, it's interesting. I, I think it, I, he keeps trying to say, I don't want to talk about craftsmanship, so I'm going to talk about workmanship. Mm-hmm. But if I must define craftsmanship, I'll yeah. define it this way. And so yeah. he is talking about craftsmanship. Yeah. Um, and then he talks about, um, you know, the workmanship of certainty, it's, you know, the colloquial term is mass production. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the workmanship of risk, the colloquial term is handmade. Right. And now he ends up taking issue with those in the next chapter. Right. He's talking about, oh, what's really handmade? I don't know. Right. You know? So he's trying to make it technical. But I, I do think it's interesting that he'll say, what I mean is, you know what I mean, mass production. Right. <laughs> exactly. He's, he's using technical have, terms, but we all know what he's what he's we, saying. Yeah. So I do think he is trying to be technical, but I think it's important to, he's trying to say, you know what I'm referring to. You're just, I'm trying to think through in a more uh, articulate and careful way what you're identifying. I'm trying to be more particular about it and say, this is the piece of that that you identify. Here's what's actually the, you know, a more helpful distinction. Yeah. And so Pi here, he, again, you know, sort of the, um, the straw man argument against him is how he's opposed to all these things and in favor of these. And so he lumps all these people in one camp and all these in another. Um, He's talking about mass production, and he says there's a time when the workmanship of certainty, i.e. mass production, made things of worse quality than the best that could be done by the workmanship of risk. And he says that's not where we are anymore. Right. He says mass-produced items are often of better quality than handmade items. Whether or not that's because of declining skill for um, handmade items, you know, he, he talked about that in a previous paragraph. Um, or whether our our um, mass production has just gotten better, which it well, certainly has. Certainly it has, yeah. Of so course. the combination of those means that oftentimes the mass produced is of better quality. Absolutely, and I think that is really uh, helpful to to underline and to 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 highlight because he's not it's not the old you know oh, mass produced junk and this handmade quality you know mm. it's really really good. Right. That's no, not he's saying that's all. actually not true. Now you know. Of course, there is junk that is mass-produced. Yeah. Of course, that's a fact. You can walk into the dollar stores and you can find yeah, a whole a lot a of list of examples junk. of it. But the issue is not that the machinery or the you know the uh, production uh, technology that was used to create those things is inferior. It's mm-hmm. that these people are trying to cut costs everywhere. Right. So it is of course possible to mass-produce something to a really high quality. Yeah. So he wants to make that very very clear. But what he says the difference is not. Uh, one is quality, one is not quality. He says mass production um, does not have the range of qualities right. that workmanship of risk does have. In particular, he's highlighting, he'll as he unpacks this further and throughout the book, is the, the surface quality, the diversity of surface quality is what he says, you know, mass production, you the whole nature of the thing, when you set something up, you predetermine it in advance, do this, run this pattern, make this, you know, cut, it's it's inherently going to be predictable and regular right. and steady. And so he says, so 
you're going to have at some point some sort of it's going to be sterile it's going to be predictable it's going to be repetitious yeah. it's monotony right yeah and he says so what workmanship of risk can do is it can give you that variety that texture the mm-hmm. the, the the life to the surface you can say wow that's so beautiful yeah i i love this example he gives um sort of to unpack this whole concept he talks about let's compare the contents of the british museum to a good department store right so if you if you picture like the the historical collection you have all these these egyptian artifacts and these early artifacts and all these beautiful things that were made hundreds if not thousands of years ago and if you picture the process of making you would say that they involved certainly a lot more of the workmanship of risk than something that you would go into a department store. You know, all the the rows and rows, the aisles of kitchen gadgets and and clothing, all the racks of clothing that are completely uniform and identical, mm-hmm. right? Picturing, contrasting that with um, some of the, the, the ancient clothing that you can see in the British Museum, right? Or the ancient textiles or the baskets. They're all different. They're all, ama- it's an amazingly diverse assembly of textures and, and um, intentions behind them and everything else. But he also says, but if we compare them in respect to ingenuity and variety of the devices, uh, the museum seems infantile. In terms of, yeah, ingenuity. Yeah, yeah, he's saying, you know, there are no microwaves, like, well, he's not saying, I'm saying, there are no microwaves in the British Museum, right? There are no electric can openers. There are there are no gadgets and gizmos uh, to the degree that we have them today because that's the direction our system is inclined. It's to make gadgets and gizmos and to make a million of them all at once. But if you're looking at the British Museum, it was sort of the basic necessities of life with added degrees of skill to make them beautiful. And they were made of much less refined materials than we typically see in the department store. So those are those those somewhat intangible values he's talking about, like the diversity of the surface, right? Of um, the, the the various range of qualities that he's right. talking about yep. that, that is lacking today because everything is predictable and identical. Right, so that's the fundamental distinction that he's using to set the book up. To you know, as we uh, proceed through these chapters and read, you know, what it was probably going with this, um, he just wants to say, I think this might be the most useful distinction to highlight the risk certainty spectrum, and so you can assess an operation or a you know a method of production for a given thing. All you can ask is the is the operation continually at risk? Can you change course? Is it guided by dexterity and care of the artisan, or is it predetermined? Is it set up to mm. just run? Because you've made such an awesome jig, machine, whatever, that once you let it run, I mean, yep. anyone can do it. Right. He's saying that would be the ideal workmanship of certainty. Mm-hmm. So um, that is this chapter. That is this uh, second chapter uh, where he's uh, setting up his fundamental distinction. Uh, and the next chapter we'll get into is anything done by hand. And he gets all fussy about that. Is anything really done by hand? Right. Um, so, but we'll be looking at that in the next episode. Uh, but we thank you for listening to the Mortis and Tenon podcast. Uh, if you haven't already, you can subscribe to make sure you get updates of this podcast uh, wherever you get them. Uh, and if you have any comments or any questions, uh, make sure to leave them below. Thank you.